This is the Internet Ballers Podcast, episode 20. This is the Internet Ballers Podcast with your host, Michael Pasha, the show for internet entrepreneurs who want to learn how uncertainty and struggle turn into confidence and success. Welcome to the Ballers Circle. Thanks for listening and welcome to the Baller Circle. I'm Michael Pasha, the host of the Internet Ballers podcast, and today I'm so excited to welcome Kate Erickson from the EO Fire audio blog, Kate's Take, and content creator for eofire.com to the Baller Circle. Kate, how are you doing? I'm doing awesome. Thanks for having me here, Michael. Kate, I'm so excited to have you on the show. I've been uh, following the EO Fire audio blog for a long time. I love uh, the the inside look that you give the listener into what happens behind the scenes at EO Fire. It's so helpful. Um, oh, glad to hear that. Your story is is super inspiring, and I and I you know it's it's great to uh, really kind of get an idea of kind of how, you know how you started and and the struggles that you went through. And I, I know that you know you were working in uh, as a as a loan processor back in the day, and then you you know you worked. Also in uh, in HR and in, in advertising, um, so I'm so I guess the, the first question that I wanted to ask you was uh, I know you had Kate's copy, um, which is an entrepreneur entrepreneurial venture that you that you started a while back. I'm curious to know um, with that entrepreneurial venture, what lessons did you learn from that? That uh, looking back today, you think would you would you I guess do things differently? Yeah, I mean, I would basically do everything differently than I did with Kate's Coffee. Okay. <laughs> um, so many lessons learned. That was my very first entrepreneurial venture, like keeping in mind that I didn't even know entrepreneurship was a possibility. And that was kind of like my first um, getting my toes wet in the entrepreneurial space, period. Like I had not done a ton of research. Um, I just got really, really, really fed up with my job. Finally kind of had like this major mindset shift and thought, okay, I can do this. So I started Kate's copy and, um, I didn't know who I was serving. That was huge. Um, and I wasn't specific enough in what I had to offer. I was kind of trying to be everything for everyone. So, um, two things that we really, really focus on here at EO Fire a lot, and that I'm sure you've heard me talk about on Kate's take is knowing your avatar and niching down. And that's because those are two things that literally ruined my business from the start because I didn't focus on those things. I didn't focus on the foundation because I was so focused on growing a business and monetizing it that I skipped over the foundational part, which is so integral because without that, you're not going to find customers. You're not going to be able to grow your business and you won't monetize. (laughs) Hmm. That makes a lot of sense. Okay. I like that. So for a lot of people who want to be entrepreneurs who are, let's say they're afraid of failing because they, they, you know, they see the statistics of most uh, that, that so many businesses fail. They're also afraid of wasting time and wasting money uh, and not getting a return on that investment. Uh, I think that's a big roadblock for a lot of people. What would you say to someone who's facing those sort of fears um, to, to help them move forward and get over that? Well, number one, you're never going to know unless you just start. 
So, so many people have so many excuses as to why they're not taking that next step forward. And there's a million things that we could have stand in our way, right? You're either going to decide to let those things stand in your way and continue using excuses or else you're going to take the next step forward and you're going to learn from it. Whether you fall on your face or you get to take the next step forward is going to be a learning experience for you. It's going to push you forward. A lot of people want the answers from somebody else who's already been there, but the only reason that person has those answers is because they've experienced it. So until you're going to put yourself out there on the line and experience it, Nobody else telling you these things is going to help you. You have to actually take action to do that. In terms of like investment and being scared about that, I totally that. When I took my first entrepreneurial leap, I was lucky to, gosh, I'm trying to remember exactly how much money I had in the bank. It was not a lot. I had tried to build myself a runway before I left my job because I knew that not only was I going to be paying for you know meals and my rent, um, but I was potentially going to have to be investing in things for my business. But I think a lot of people might get a little scared off by people saying like you should hire mentors and you have to have a coach and you need to invest all this money in your business. You know, you can bootstrap it. You don't have to pay for all those things. Investing in yourself and investing in your business might just be like the time and the focus that you're giving it doesn't always have to be monetary. So find a mentor online that you're kind of following from afar, maybe a podcast that you follow or somebody's blog that you follow or someone's newsletter that's really impactful and powerful for you. You consuming that content and then actually taking action and doing something with that information, that's an investment in yourself and it's certainly an investment in your business. So I think it's just kind of thinking about it in a different way and realizing that, yes, this is scary, but everyone's scared. So you're not alone. Even like, you know, Michael Jordan was scared. Uh, the president of America is scared. Like everybody's scared. The only difference between them and you is that they took action and that you might not be taking action right now. Right, right. I like that a lot because I think a lot of people feel like they're the only one, right? I'm the only one who's scared. I'm the only one who doesn't know what I'm doing. And it's true, right? Everyone's scared and no one really knows until you do it. So that's a, that's an excellent point. Um, so when you talk about bootstrapping and, and building up the business and, you know, creating a runway, do you think, I know some people are, are have the opinion that if you're going to do this, you have to, you know, jump in with both feet, quit your job, do it full time. What, what is your, what's your opinion on having the side hustle until you get to a point where you, where you have the income to leave your job as opposed to just jumping, jumping in, you know, both feet in the pool? You know, I think there's two sides to that. I mean, for me, looking back, I kind of did like the two feet, like dive right in head first. Um, I left my job. And at the time that I left my job, I really hadn't done anything to build my business. If I could go back, I would have been building my business while I was still at my job. I'm totally down for the side hustle because there's so many things that you're going to be learning and working out in the very beginning of your business. Why not be earning an income from a steady, well, a steady job. Hopefully it is a steady job. Um, why not be earning income all the while? Because a lot of that stuff is going to take time. It's going to be frustrating. It's not going to happen overnight. Um, so if you do have the opportunity to side hustle, I, I'm all about that. I think it's a really good idea. Now, on the flip side, I think there are some people who have the personality that they have to be all in or it's nothing. If that's your personality and you feel like you can't 
move forward in building a business while you're still in a job and you kind of need that pressure to have your back up against the wall to say like, if I want to pay my rent next month, I got to make this business happen like right now, then I don't know, maybe it would be good for you to just jump in head first and really make it happen. Hmm. Okay. I like that. Um, so you're the content creator at EO Fire, super successful seven figure business. Um, what makes great content? Great. What makes great content is content that is serving somebody specific. Like I'll go back to when I was talking about Kate's copy, you know, I was creating things and putting it out there, but I was creating things to, uh, actually in a lot of ways, like I was trying to serve myself. I had pain points and, you know, I, I thought that that's what I was helping other people with, but in not understanding who my target audience was or what their pain points were or what type of content would be most valuable for them, I was creating subpar content because I wasn't paying attention to what was going to serve my audience. So I think what makes great content is that it has a value and a purpose for your avatar, for the audience that you're serving. Hmm. Okay. So I, so what you said before about you were writing content for yourself. So was it that you were imagining that you were the avatar and you later found out that that was not the correct uh, avatar to have? Yeah. In, in some ways, like, because I didn't even understand like what an avatar was and I didn't I didn't know how to imagine who my perfect customer was because I just wanted everyone to be my customer. I'm like, well, I don't want to just serve one person. You're crazy. I want to serve like 15 people because then I'm going to get more business and I'm going to make more money. In doing that, I was serving nobody and making no money. So the only place that I had to start was just thinking about like, well, what do I think that I should be writing about today? You know, I was putting so much pressure on myself. And I think that we do this as entrepreneurs a lot. We think the the weight of the world is like on our shoulders. We have to make all these decisions about our business. But in reality, you shouldn't be making any of those decisions. Those decisions about the content you create and the way that you deliver it and the products and services that you provide, that should be answers and direct requests from your perfect customer. That could be you. Like if I was in the business of serving me back then, like another me, um, then that would have been great. A lot of people are lucky to have themselves kind of be a model of who their avatar is. And it might certainly start out that way. It just wasn't the case for me. I just didn't have the knowledge and I wasn't out there consuming content to teach me that it wasn't me that I was trying to serve at all. And, and I had no idea who I was trying to serve. Hmm. Okay. So how do you know if your avatar is wrong? Um, if you're not getting any feedback, if you're putting stuff out there consistently that you have maybe created an avatar and you feel like this should be valuable for that person, you're putting it out there, you're in online communities and you're meeting who you think is your avatar and they're not responding, then I think it's time to take a step back and look at who it is you should really be serving. A lot of the times, you know, I think that like this happened to me with when I came on board at EO Fire, when I first started writing the blog, I was writing the blog and kind of like, 
Um, I wasn't really being super specific with actionable advice. I was more just kind of like taking an experience and then like creating a little bit of a story around it. Um, because I thought that from John doing the EO Fire podcast that our audience loved to hear stories and they wanted to learn about experiences and kind of have somebody like riff on what that might mean or the lesson that you can take from it. But in looking at the feedback that I was getting or the lack thereof, I realized that whenever I posted something that was like seven steps to doing this or when I was talking about super specific steps that people could take to make something happen, then I was getting comments on the blog and like more people were sharing those posts than the other posts, the story based like experiential ones. And so that kind of led me in the direction of saying, okay, I have a, a way better feel for who my avatar is now knowing that the content I'm putting out there, they're not reacting to this type of content, but they are reacting to this type. And so my avatar for the EO Fire blog and for Kate's Take My Podcast really evolved because of that. I put different types of content out there and then I looked for um, results from that, whether it be social shares or comments on the blog, people reaching out to me and saying like, wow, that post about the seven steps to do X, Y, and Z was really, really powerful for me. And I'm like, okay, nobody emailed me about that other post that I did. So, you know, I was kind of taking those feedback and verbal cues and letting that help guide me into figuring out who my avatar really was. Okay. I like that. That's, that's great advice. Um, so the EO Fire audio blog, you have, uh, you know, a successful um, business that you've helped you know, John built from the beginning. I'm curious, how did, the, how did you get involved in the process initially? How did that conversation happen where you, you, you got involved in, in the business that John was launching? So uh, John had the idea for EO Fire back in like June of 2012, like May, June 2012. Um, I was working in corporate America and we were living together, boyfriend and girlfriend. And uh, he came home one night, told me about this idea that he had and um, asked for my support and him leaving his job so that he could kind of pursue this business. Um, I didn't really have any idea what the whole entre like the podcasting thing was all about. I wasn't really sure that I understood like his vision for it, but I told him 100% I'll support you. I'll do whatever I can with my experience and expertise to kind of help you like get this business started. So that was kind of like him starting the business. I stayed in my corporate job and maybe after like five or six months. So a few months after he actually launched the podcast, it was towards the end of 2012. He kind of had gained traction and was getting a lot of downloads. He actually had some people reaching out to him and requesting to be on the show instead of him like asking people to be on the show. Right. Um, he even had a couple of people ask if they could like pay him to put an ad in the podcast. Really? And you know, for us, this was like totally brand new. We had no idea that that was going to happen. And um, so right about that time, he was like, you know, I, I'm like seeing this build momentum. I'm, I'm seeing that this is possible and that I can grow an audience that I can serve people doing this. Um, what do you think about coming on the team? Uh, and at that point, I really wasn't sure how that was going to work out. I was really concerned about what that would do to our personal relationship. Um, I did really love my job at the time. I was that's when I was working in advertising and marketing and I was learning so much that that had kind of been like my dream job for a while. So I was enjoying that experience. 
Um, and so, you know, we kind of tabled it and for a couple of months it would come up every now and then and we would kind of talk about what it would look like to work together, what I would actually be adding to the business. And uh, within a few months, uh, April of 2013, I left my job and I came on the team. We finally decided that, you know, we had thought about it enough. We had talked about it enough. I could, I could finally see where I fit into the business, which was really important to me because I wanted to know that my role was going to be uh, something that I was passionate about and something that was truly going to serve and help move the company forward, help it grow. And so at that point, um, yeah, we made it happen. That's awesome. So, uh, you, you know, you, you kind of uh, answered the question, the next question I was going to ask, which was, were you concerned at all about how working together would affect your relationship? Uh, so I'm curious, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of other people who are thinking about working with a significant other. They're concerned about what that's going to do with the relationship. What have you and John done to balance, you know, your personal and business relationships as well as keep keep the romance alive. Yeah, it's it's been t- there have been some tough times for sure. You know, it's not an easy road to take, but the reward of us sharing like a common vision and being on the same page and sharing that passion and sharing that love for what we do, I think has brought us closer than we ever could have been before. Mm-hmm. So. The benefits of what we're doing are so high that the tough times when it's like, okay, let's not talk about work right now, which has been kind of like a tough thing. Both of us are very passionate about what we do. Um, As an entrepreneur, as you know, sometimes working hours are a lot longer than you would expect. Um, But, you know, you also reap the benefits of on a Tuesday afternoon being able to pick up and go explore or, you know, go spend time with your family or or whatever it might be. But, you know, for us, it's really been about setting solid boundaries. Like when is the time that we get to talk about work and when is the time that we're not going to talk about work? And that's been really important for us. There were definitely some times in the first few months where at nighttime, it was kind of like once we once we were sitting down to have dinner, work was off limits. Like from the time we were having dinner to the, ne- to the next day when we were working, we weren't going to be talking about work stuff. Um, and, you know, we had to keep each other in check about that. And we would call each other out if one of us started talking about business. We would say, you know, like, hey, no business time right now. Um, And of course, there's exceptions to that if you're doing like a big launch or something like that. But, you know, it's really been about open communication, setting those boundaries and keeping each other in check because it's it's tough. (laughs) What would you say to someone who has a, uh, you know, strong passion to start a business, but they have a significant other who's not on board? That's really tough. I mean, I'm so grateful and I think every day how cool it is that John and I get to do this together with full support of one another because I see in our community so often that people are, they they just want support. Like they just want somebody to encourage them and lift them up instead of doubting them and trying to pull them back down and it kills me to see that. Um, if you have a significant other who's not willing to support like your dream or like what you're looking to do, you know, I think that's a serious conversation that needs to be had like yesterday. Um, Because I I truly believe, you know, of course, that it has to be within reason. I mean, you can't be like putting your family out or not taking care of the responsibilities that you have. And then, 
you know, be expecting support if you're not doing those things. But, you know, if you're carrying your weight and doing the things you're supposed to be doing, taking care of your responsibilities and your relationship and, and with your family and your significant other doesn't support you, um, I think it needs to be a straight up conversation of like, this is what I want to do. I need your support. Like, can you give it to me? And, you know, be open and honest about like what this means to you. I think a lot of people kind of brush it off because they're scared about what other people are going to say about it. You know, maybe you're afraid to really like share your passion and how deeply this affects you because you're afraid that, you know, your partner's going to laugh at you or think that it's silly or I, I felt that way. I mean, I felt that way with my family sometimes. I'm kind of even scared to like express everything that this means to me because I'm afraid of what they're going to think of me. But you got to take that away and you have to express it like full force so that that person really understands how much that means to you. And if even then they can't support you, then I don't know. That's up to you. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, I, pre I appreciate that answer. It's 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 tough. Uh, I'm I um I I ask that often in the podcast because just trying to get you know different opinions on the issue because I know that you know unfortunately a lot of people do struggle with that mm -hmm. and I know that uh you know you and John working so closely together um I you know the one thing that's interesting is the recent move that you did to Puerto Rico um did uh what what kind of prompted that um that move you know there's been a lot of like things that John and I have talked about over the past couple of years in terms of we have very minimal responsibilities just in the respect that, you know, we don't have kids, we don't have animals, we don't have like things that keep us in a particular location. And for the past several years, we've, we've either been in San Diego, which is where my family is, or we've been in Maine, which is where his family is. Um, and, you know, we've, thoroughly enjoyed that time and embraced every second to be able to be close to our families and spend that time with them. But we're not getting any younger. And, you know, we keep talking about like these dreams of traveling and like seeing all of Europe and, you know, exploring the Caribbean and just like seeing what else our world has to offer. There's so, so, so much. Um, and we get comfortable when we're in San Diego and we get comfortable when we're in Maine for good reason. They're both amazing places. And again, it's where our family is, which is really important to both of us. Um, but coming to Puerto Rico was really us pushing ourselves out of our comfort zone. Um, it's still a commonwealth of the U.S., which was a big plus for us. Um, because we don't, we we weren't going to have to be concerned when we were doing uh, research on potentially relocating to Europe and being able to travel around. You know, visa comes into play and citizenship comes into play, and it just seemed like there was going to be a lot more to us. You know, being location independent and being able to travel around in Europe than if we kind of had like a home base um, in a U.S. Commonwealth where we don't have to have a passport, we don't have to change citizenship. Um, so that was a big part of it, too. But really getting ourselves out of our comfort zone. Um, we've talked about a passion project for both of us, which is creating audio walking tours of the world's greatest cities. Mm. Um, so that's kind of something that we're looking for Puerto Rico to be our launch pad to uh, doing something like that. Okay, that sounds good. 
Are you a fan of crashing conferences if you don't have the money to pay for a conference? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. What about you? I, I you know, I tried to do that um, uh-huh. at Social Media Marketing World. It did not work out. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm trying to think of a better strategy. So what's, what's your uh, conference crashing strategy? So I, I think that I'm glad that you brought up social media marketing world because I was going to say the caveat is that you choose a conference that will actually allow you to crash it because <laughs> a conference like social media marketing world where you literally have to do a pa- have a pass to do anything related to that conference can be really tough. Um, but an example of a conference that I crashed two years in a row actually um, is World Domination Summit in Portland, Oregon. And actually, I think that's coming up here like in the next month or so. Um, It's a really amazing conference. It's a really amazing group of people. Really the vibe around that conference is like, how can we like change the world as just one person? Like, what can we be doing today to create our future? And how can we be like stepping outside of our comfort zone, um, taking leaps that we never thought possible? So it's a very like uplifting and encouraging conference. And while of course you do need a pass to actually go to the sessions, there are so many like meetups and stuff happening outside of the conference that you don't have to have a pass to go to. So that was kind of my strategy in in Crashing World Domination Summit is I knew that there was going to be a lot of stuff going on around the conference that you didn't have to have a pass to go to. Um, And I think it largely depends on the people who are going to be there and and what you're looking to get out of being there. Um, You know, if if you're a huge Pat Flynn fan and you hear that Pat Flynn is going to be throwing a smart passive income like party that you can buy a ticket to, then maybe it's worth going and being surrounded by those people just to be able to go to that meetup that's, you know, kind of connected to the conference, but not connected to the conference in the sense that you actually need a pass to go to it. Mm, that makes a lot of sense. Okay, awesome. Well, Kate, I really appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, you gave some some great insight. And uh, I, you know, I love uh, hearing more about your journey. Um, I want to know before we go, how can the Baller Circle learn more about you and uh, the EO Fire business? Yeah, everything that we do is just over at eofire.com. So super simple. <laughs> Perfect. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Michael. No problem. Thanks for listening to the Internet Ballers podcast. Through our guest stories, you will learn the path to go from struggling entrepreneur to internet baller. We'll see you on the next episode.